0: Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and today I'm joined by, here we go, il ragazzo più intelligente che disposto a parlare con me. It's David Amoyal, David. How are you? And did that make any sense at all? I know that was perfect to tie in with, I'm assuming, just a hint of a native accent. But Google translated uh, those words themselves. I'm wondering how it was on a scale of, let's say, 9
1: out of 10 but that's that's very good nine and a half very good i like it even for google translate they chose uh Good words. So well done. I have a lot to live up to. Anyone who knows Italian uh, knows I have a lot to live up to with that intro. But uh, yeah, very well done. Well played and pretty good pronunciation. So Thank well you. done.
0: I, I was going to say, I feel like anybody who knows Italian has their ears bleeding right now. I'm glad it wasn't no, no, so no, bad. No, 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 no. Uh, but as the introduction suggested, uh, we are going to talk Serie A, which did get back underway this past weekend. Some games did at least. Not every yeah. team played. And let's actually start with that. Were there any things that you saw this weekend? Generally speaking, for any team, for any player, whomever it might be, that sort of you had questions or concerns about heading into the weekend that either have been exacerbated or have been answered at this point after one game, David. Anything big change for you?
1: Well, I will say this: um, you know, we had there's a lot of question marks on Pierlo's first match. As Juve manager, I think the lineup already in and of itself was incredibly fascinating. So he went back with three at the back, which probably not everyone would have guessed, but he did love Conte as a manager. That's who inspired him to become a manager. And Juve Strenf is still their center back. So three at the back, he starts McKinney, which was great for Mm -hmm. us based in the US. Arthur does not start, he was their big acquisition. From Barca, Ramsey looked fantastic. Uh, looked really, really good. Uh, he starts a left back out of the blue, makes his debut in Serie A del Fabro. He looked pretty good. So bold by Pirlo, to say the least. Uh, I've been telling your listeners about Kuluzewski uh, mm-hmm. for a while, and he's absolutely sensational in his debut. I thought he... It was great. So look, you know, you don't want to overreact to one game and Sampdoria is on the weaker side in Serie A. You know, I would say there's at least 10, 12 teams that are certainly better than them, but they're not a newly promoted side either. To me, Juve clearly looked like a team that was so happy that Sarri is gone. That was my main (laughs) takeaway, because let's be honest, they were doing a lot of the things that Sarri wanted them to do, but they just seemed much more willing to do it for Pirlo. So, yeah, that was certainly exciting. I have to say Napoli, Ossiman, was great. He only played a half, but he was really, really excellent. Insigne uh, uh, compared him to Cavani, which for Napoli standards is really, really high praise. So, yeah, and Milan yesterday uh, confirmed themselves. Granted, uh, there's a big question mark on how Milan will do once San Siro is filled with a young team in the past. They've had jitters, but Zlatan really leading that team really well. So I have to say, you know, we have yet to see Inter. We have yet to see Atalanta and Lazio. But mm-hmm. the teams that we felt were going to be strong are off to a good start. So it was good to have Calcio back. Even Fiorentina with a late win. Chiesa played pretty well with Rocco Comiso watching. So I thought it was a pretty good start to set yeah.
0: All right. Well, on that note, a pretty good start. Let's continue it then. Let's talk Juve for a moment. Uh, I wanted to actually ask you a bit more about Andrea Pirlo's tactical approach, because I wasn't uh, necessarily expecting that back three, uh, as you mentioned. What did you see from Juve that sort of maybe gives you some insight into how they'll be approaching this season under Pirlo?
1: Well, we saw a lot of... uh... Quick passing. Uh, we didn't see them like hogging the ball uh, that much. An individual player. I think you know. Let's, I, I've really picked on Pjanic a lot in recent years, but I'm not surprised that once he uh, he's out of the equation, Juve was moving more. I think Ramsey I'm really surprised me. I think Pirlo has really worked with him and I think Rabiot who finished the season strong uh, gives Juve all of a sudden a nice midfield and Pirlo very smartly not surprisingly he knows a lot about midfielders right he's arguably Hmm. one of the three best Italian midfielders ever and he figured out quickly that he doesn't have a classic regista so someone in front Of the defense and you know he doesn't really have typical three in the midfield so a regista in the middle and two guys next to him that you know uh, support the wingers or not he figured out most of his midfielders are going to strive with two in front of the defense and then three. With the strikers, so uh, that's exactly what uh, we saw. I'm going very curious to see once Dibala is in the mix here because he's kind of an enigma as far as which position he's going to play under Pirlo. They don't bring Zico, they bring in Morata instead. I have a feeling Ronaldo, Kurzeski, and Dibala will be the trio mainly up front, with Morata kind of being as a super sub and rotation. So I think it was interesting in the midfield with those two in front of the defense, and that should really benefit McKinney. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I have a feeling... McKinney is essentially taking Matuidi's uh, spot on the squad. He's the only midfielder with those characteristics. So we might see really a lot of him this season. If he appears in 60% of the games at Juve, his option to buy fully vest, and Look, as I've been telling you guys, mm-hmm. that's really a purchase. It's just for accounting purposes. But I think it says a lot, too. If you think about it, Juve also used their last non-EU slot on him and uh, they couldn't get Suarez yeah. because of that. and that t- Really, that tells you all you need to know on how much faith he has in McKinney. He starts the first game and he was really good.
0: Thank you for reminding me of the Luis Suarez story because uh, I definitely <laughs> want to ask about that one, but I want to stick with McKinney for this weekend. I was very excited about him as well uh, and what we saw from him. He reminded me of Gattuso just a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I, It sounds like you were uh, at least somewhat impressed by his performance. A Slightly worrying thing to me was that when, uh, Benton subs on, uh, McKinney, I believe, goes to wing back at that point. Yeah, 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 uh, and yeah. that is without Artur entering another conversation, as you said. Do you think we'll see him sort of playing a variety of different positions this season? Is that an insight into how he'll be used, or do you think we will see him sort of more central, uh, when he is used?
1: Well, I do think he'll mainly be the defensive midfielder, for lack of a better word, in that formation. But the wing back is interesting, and to be honest, I think this says more about Juve. They did not do a great job with the wing back positions on the market. I, I think in general, that's a very tough position on the market. There aren't that many good ones. The teams that have good ones tend to hold on. To them, So we saw Juve do this with Cuadrado in the past. It was an offensive winger. They kind of converted him as a wing back. I think McKinney, it wouldn't surprise me if we see him there because he's very athletic Mm -hmm. and is good defensively. But I still think when you look at the other midfielders on Juve, none of them really have a great defensive work rate. So I do think that'll be where we mainly see him. And I think we'll see a lot of them.
0: And then uh, – so we'll see a lot of him uh, who did take that final uh non-EU uh EU spot, which meant that Suarez needed to be an Italian citizen. He <laughs> passed the test. We thought there was many stories about how he passed it with flying colors, how it was no problem. Now there are reports, I believe, today that they're being uh, investigated, that the maybe exam was fraudulent or that it was like agreed upon questions, maybe not even <laughs> that hard of questions that I think he spoke in infinitives, didn't know how to conjugate. Um I don't like I don't know how much more you know about the situation, but I wanted to ask this, like how frequent of a process is that that players have to sort of prove their proficiency with Italian before they can start playing in the league?
1: Yeah, this was a really fascinating. It doesn't happen that often. And there's really a lot to unpack on this one. I mean, this really, in a lot of ways, sums up 2020. Like he goes to take this exam. Everything looks great. Then it turns out He was cheating or they set him up to cheat, but then it turns out he wasn't even going to Juve anyways. And so to me, the substantial thing is it made sense for him to have an EU passport at this stage of his career. That gives him more options. He's going it seems like he's going Atletico Madrid. Mm -hmm. Now, But that definitely gives him more options in the future if he wants to stay in Europe and join a new league. But, you know, Juve, of course, in Italy, there's always a lot of conspiracy theories. And now all of a sudden there's a new thing on Juve cheating. It's unclear to me how much of a role they had in this whole thing. But by the time he went to take the exam, it was pretty obvious that he wasn't going to Juve, that they were looking – Elsewhere, but definitely fascinating. I mean, we've had in the past a, a pretty famous one with Rakoba when he went in there. I think it was in the 90s with like a fake passport. I think this is the first that we've had. Since then, but definitely a very unique situation. And it just goes to show 2020 just continues to be an absolutely crazy year. And for Juve to get torched for cheating, and maybe they have a role as we're recording, I'm not sure. But they weren't even signing him. I mean, that really is Italian football for you. It's an odd one. It's
0: an odd year. And as you said, it was slightly odd to see uh, Gianluca Frabotta starting. Uh, He was another surprise starter this weekend, debutizing for Alexandro what can you tell the listeners about him and why do you think Pirlo went with him over more established options?
1: Well, I'm going to be honest. Like most people, I mean, I knew he was on Juve's under 23 team. He was playing in Italy's third division, but this really came out of the blue. He wasn't in any of the projected. Lineups. Uh, you know, Alex said uh, the reason why he started is Alexandro has heard he'll be out about a few more weeks. And, you know, there was talk that maybe Desilio would play, but uh, kudos to Pirlo. I think, you know, Pierlo right now must be feeling that he's playing with house money and. It, Worked out really well, you know. Uh, in Italy, is just saying "il buongiorno si vede dal mattino." You're gonna know if it's gonna be a nice day based on how the morning goes. And I think Pierlo couldn't be happier with how things went. Even that move worked out perfectly for him.
0: I feel like you're you're copying me. I spoke Italian and so you wanted to. I feel like mine was just as good as well. Mine was just as uh perfect and fluent. Um do you think they are done with their business? Do you think they kind of have the squad they're going to have or do you expect a couple more additions or subtractions? <laughs>
1: Well, you know, Juve is really in a very tough financial situation. Uh, You know, COVID definitely, uh, they make a lot of money from their stadium. They own their stadium. There's a bunch of, you know, there's a restaurant. There's the museum. That's all been gone. And, you know, what really hurts Juve is not having any certainty on when all that's coming back. I mean, they had a 1,000 fans in the stands for this game, but that's not going to make up. Anywhere. Those were guests. So Yuva is in a tough shape. Then they also lost 18 million to release Higuain. They basically were like, we're going to just put that amortized value. We'll just count it as a loss now. We took such a big loss. What's another 18 million? But to me, that really puts them in a tough spot. Uh, I think they. I, I, with Morata, that should be official probably by the time most people hear mm-hmm. uh, this podcast. I think if they move uh, wing back, De being someone that they could move, they'll try to get Emerson Palmieri from Chelsea. Again, they have a good relationship with Chelsea, but I don't expect anything significant. I know a lot of U v fans were looking at Lyon midfielder Awar. It's mm-hmm. kind of a tradition that. The team that eliminates Juve in the Champions League, then they buy their best player the following season. But after Ronaldo and Delict, I don't expect that. But Awar is just too expensive. Like Juve just does not have that money for those types of moves unless they sold uh, Dibala. But on the bright side, I think this Juve squad is really invigorated last season. You know, it's like they were playing with uh, the brake on the car on. Like you forget that you put the. The break with the pedal on, that's kind of how it felt like Juve was playing. And it seems like Pierlos released the break and they seem pretty enthused. Uh, but as I said, I think Kuzeski, because it happened in January and I think people kind of forgot what a big impact that is. I think with Hakimi at Inter, that's the most impactful move of the mm-hmm. summer. And I think he really showed it the first game.
0: Uh, I, I want to talk about Inter next. I have one follow-up yep. question. With Iguain. it hadn't really, like, I haven't really thought about this at any length, and now I'm wondering, like, what has gone wrong? Why were they willing to put themselves in such a position in order to be able to mutually part ways with him? Like, was it he just wasn't up to snuff? Was it a personality issue? Was it just holding them back with his salary, or was it some combination thereof?
1: Well, it's it's hard to say because... It, had you kept Higuaín this season, it basically would have the same financial impact than it did releasing. And now, granted, they are using his salary slot, if you will, on Morata. But he had that—you know—they signed him for ninety million. They spread out that expense over five years. Ninety divided by five is eighteen. He cost them that eighteen every year and they were like, you know what, we're just gonna release them. I think they kind of really wanted to turn the page. They you know Matuidi was the same. I think Kadira will mm-hmm. be next. I think they just wanted to give Pirlo a clean slate. But financially it's not really like they saved uh anything. I just think, you know, they wanted a new vibe on the team. And I can understand that too. You know, it's not like Sarri obviously Sari and Higuain had a connection I'm not sure it's because he was loyal to Sari, but I think they just kind of wanted a little bit of a clean house
0: much more still on the way from David Amayal, but first, a word from today's sponsor, Policy Genius. They would like you to know that September is National Life Insurance Awareness Month. With everything going on in the world right now, whatever could they be referring to? A lot of people aren't even aware if it's possible to buy life insurance at all. The good news is that it's easy to shop for life insurance right now. So that's good. Uh, and if you have loved ones, depending on your income, you probably should. Right now, you could save $1,500 or more a year by using Policy Genius to compare life insurance policy When you're shopping for a policy that could last for a decade or more, those savings really start to add up. It's very simple. You just go to policygenius.com. In minutes, you can work out how much coverage you need and compare quotes from top insurers to find your best price. As I said, it's very easy. Then you just apply for the lowest one. Their team handles everything else. The red tape, the paperwork, you do not have to worry about it. So if you need life insurance, head to policygenius.com right now to get started. You could save $1,500 or more a year by comparing quotes on their market. Place Policy Genius, when it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right. Thank you very much to Policy Genius for sponsoring this episode. Now back to David. So their cleaning house, it feels like Inter are doing the opposite of that with their approach to the window. They've brought in Alexis Sanchez, or they've gotten him uh, on a permanent, as with Arturo Vidal, both on freeze. Alexander Kolarov comes in for the cheap. But then they splash the cash on Atraf, Atraf Hakimi, Nicola Barella, and Stefano Sensi. I think there may be some other acquisitions as well. Do you like... What they've done so far, to an outsider, it feels a little bit like, wow, they've just brought in a ton of names. I don't know how this is all going to work out. I'm assuming there's a little bit more uh, plan there than I'm giving credit. So I was wondering what your thoughts were on what they've done so far.
1: Uh look, I'll tell you this, on uh, my podcast they picked in third to win the title and for me that's a big break because I'm uh, old school to me if you want to beat the champ you have mm-hmm. to show me you know to beat the champ you have to beat the champ and you have to show me and Juve is coming off 9 titles. But, you know, to me, the squads are really pretty close. They are really pretty comparable. Um, coaches, though, to me, it's a huge edge for Inter. Now, granted, Pirlo, great in the debut. But I think we're really going to know what Pirlo is all about after the first loss, like after there's some difficulty. Mm-hmm. I need to see that. I know how Conte... You know, there's going to be definitely some bumps in the road. There's going to be some blowouts in the media. But, you know, I can count on Conte. And I look at the squad at Inter. They are definitely going older. Like last year, Conte famously said after a loss, well, you can't expect me to win these big games when you bring players from Cagliari and Sassuolo. And he was talking about Barella. And, since, and those guys played really well for him, by the way, mm-hmm. which is pretty ironic. So they bring in, you know, Vidal from Barcelona. They bring in Kolarov from Roma. Those are really the opposite veterans. Conte and Vidal, obviously, really, really tight. A player that really embodies the Conte mantra, if you will. Kolarov's definitely up there in age, but he is a winner, makes a difference. He can play as a center back and a wing back as needed. Look, even Siege might end up being quite useful for them. He had fairly significant role on the team that won the Champions League. Uh, let's see if now he can play as a winger for Conte. So I really like um what Inter's done and Lukaku, you know, is going to have a full season and said, "Yeah, he arrived late in the summer. He's really comfortable there." But what I will say is for Inter, they have to win the league title. There's no way around it because they've sacrificed the opportunity to sign some great young players in Serie a to go for veterans. So, you know, they obviously had Zaniolo and they got rid of him to get Angolan a few years ago. So that's already bad. They had Kuluzeski was there for the taking. Juve took him from under their nose in January and he looks great. We know Tonali with Inter had him locked down for months and then Milan swooped in Inter they decided to go more for the Vidal types and then there was also Cumbula who was going to Roma one of Mm -hmm. the best young defenders and said yeah so to me if Inter doesn't win the title and they are stuck and then Conte leaves and look he won't be there two years from now and they're stuck with all these players that really only make sense for Conte that's bad now is all that worth a title to end Juve's streak and to avoid them getting a 10th title? Probably. Yeah, probably is. Right. But yeah, that's a big price. If you don't do it, though, all those young players, that's going to look so bad. And we'll be talking about that for years.
0: With all that said, I sort of completely forgot that Arturo Vidal, he played with Antonio Conte at Juve, correct? Juve.
1: Yeah, that's Uh, where he became a star.
0: Yeah, Yeah. so that makes a lot more sense. Because for a minute, I was like, is it because Alexis Sanchez needs a buddy? Like, now (laughs) that makes a lot more sense that if there is that familiarity... The one player that we haven't talked about that is still at Inter and I don't quite know what's going to happen with him is Christian Eriksen. Uh, he went from oh, yeah. world-class attacking threat at Spurs to wantaway midfielder at Spurs to substitute at Inter. Now, from what I read uh, today, Tuesday, he's being linked with like possible swap deals because Inter are trying to get him. Golo Kanté. That feels like a pretty dramatic sort of fall from grace, such as it was. What is the issue with him? Why isn't it working out for him at Inter as far as you've seen?
1: Yeah, it's a tough one because Eriksson, when Calcio came back after the break because of COVID, he actually looked good. The first two weeks we were like, oh, wow, the break was good. Conte figured out how to put him and then he was just getting benched all the time and he was coming in at the 88th minute. You know, Conte called them soft in the media. He made a joke on Inter doing his introduction a La Scala, which is where they play classical music in the theater in Milan, made a joke about that, was essentially calling him soft, saying, you know, this isn't the Premier League here in Italy. People are tough and you need to toughen up. So it's an odd situation. And Eriksson always kind of had an odd fit in Conte's system. There's really not kind of a trequartista behind the strikers. I always felt ultimately he would end up playing the Pirlo role, like in front of the defense uh, and essentially replacing Brozovic, who they can sell and make a profit on. But they will try to get Conte. I think it'll be really hard because Chelsea won a ton of money for him. I think they would have to sell Brozovic and Eriksson to raise the money, that will be tough. My guess is Ericsson stays. The deadline is October 5th, and they see at least through January to see what happens there. Uh, I think too, for inter recruitment of other players down the road, this could hurt them giving up on him that fast. And also, when he played, he really wasn't that bad. But he really is like him and Arturo Vidal really couldn't be more different type of players. And it's not surprising that Conte is more <laughs> attracted to the Vidal types.
0: All right. Yeah, that, that makes a lot more sense to me. Uh, so that is clear. The final thing that I remain sort of confused by when it comes to uh, to Inter, like I'm not the smartest person. I wouldn't say I'm the dumbest either. I still cannot figure out uh, Andrea Pinamonti's. excuse me, transfer Pinomonte? history. Yeah, Yeah. W- what's going on there? Because <laughs> he was like, oh, Inter, okay. Genoa, Genoa, Inter. It seems oh, yeah, like strange yeah. back and forth there.
1: Well, there are some people that will tell you that pretty much 90 percent of the moves between Italian teams really are in sporting moves. And they're essentially just a way to clean up balance sheets and fix, uh, you know, overspending in the past. Now, I wouldn't go that far, but I definitely think there is something to that. And the Pinamonti deal is very, very interesting. Years ago in Italy we had this thing of the co ownerships with clubs owning a player half right. and half and then one club buying out the other. And there were all sorts of financial shenanigans going uh with that. So the league crackdown on that made those Illegal. Instead, we started seeing these loans with option to buy with a counter option to buy where basically clubs are locking in these prices like we'll give you this money now, then you'll give this to us by then he'll have a less amortized value for you. So you'll get a bigger profit. Like these shenanigans have been going on for years. People who followed, you know, Milan with Galliani, with Genoa, they did this a ton. Juve did this with smaller clubs in Italy. Uh, but now, you know, they changed the rules and now they kind of have to do these deals a little bit unofficially. So when Inter sold Pinamonti to Genoa, I think it was for 12 Million, but they told Genoa we're going to take him back next year, and we're going to pay you eighteen million for that. Inter kind of needed that money back then. When you sell a player, the money comes in, and you can record the entire sale for that one fiscal year. When you buy a player, you instead spread out that that uh, payment over the life of the contract. So Inter gets back Pinamonti for eighteen million. I think they gave him a five year deal. So now. Jano gets that 18 million right away. Inter, on the other hand, is going to spread out that cost over five years. So clubs do these. It's kind of like robbing Peter to pay Paul. Inter didn't want to renege on the agreement with Jano that they buy him back. But I'm sure with COVID, they didn't envision COVID happening when they did that deal. They probably weren't too happy. To have to buy him back, but they kept the agreement because guess what? They'll be doing more deals with Genoa to keep this going. I see.
0: Do you think he'll play a role for them? Like, what does he offer as a player? Because, again, I'm not very familiar with him. He came to my mind because I saw him in both the sales in and sales out categories, (laughs) and I was very confused.
1: Yeah, no, I, he's a pretty good player. Like look, Inter doesn't have a natural backup to Lukaku. Like they have Alexi Sanchez, a good player, certainly not similar to Lukaku. I wouldn't say Pinamonti is a huge main number 9 like that, but he's the closest they have. So, yeah, he might he might have a role there. I mean, Lauta, I mean Lautaro and Lukaku are the starters. Pinamonti sanchez are the backups i think paddy siege will be a backup striker wing back as well so Pinamonti will have a role but again these are really financial deals and at the end of the day i think for listeners it's important to remember that you know uh, a club sells a player; they can record that money right away in its entirety. A club buys a player; they can spread out that payment over multiple years. So teams in Serie A do this over and over again, and they are basically resetting the clock and trying to buy time, if you will, with their financial statement.
0: All right. So we have uh, like your your feeling is that maybe we have Inter on top, maybe we have Juve second potentially uh who do you see maybe getting those other champions league places this season last year for people who forget or missed out it was atalanta and then lazio lazio just barely getting there after having challenged for most of the season do you think it's more of the same or might there be some new names in there
1: yeah uh, i mean i definitely see juve and enter are Mm -hmm. their own tier after that i think there's a big drop off so If I had to pick a dark horse for the Scudetto, it would clearly be Atalanta. Mm -hmm. So by that logic, I guess I have to pick them third. And and for good reason. Uh, A, Atalanta last year showed me that they can handle playing on multiple competitions. Now, granted, they didn't get off to a great start in the Champions League. But they showed me that they can do both. They added depth to the team. They added depth, especially up front, where they're really dangerous. They brought in a pretty good center back in Romero. Juve owned was a Genoa. I mean, they see a huge upgrade on what they had. No, but he fits their system well. And I would say they have decent amount of depth across the board, we know their system works. They have an identity. They haven't changed much. So I'm going to go Atalanta third. And then after that, honestly, uh, we have Lazio. We have Milan, Napoli. I'm going to have Roma a little bit behind. Fiorentina, somewhat intriguing. I think Sassuolo another dark horse. But I'm going to go Napoli fourth. It's really close, though, for me. Napoli, Lazio, Milan, you could really flip any order. And, I, you know, you could make an argument for all of them. But I'm going to go Napoli last season. Going into the season, I thought they had the second-best squad after Juve. Uh, they've done a good job on the transfer market. Awesome man. Looked really, really good in his debut. Um Koulibaly might stay as we're recording. I think it's fairly likely he'll stay. Napoli just won't sell him for anything below what they're asking. And I don't think someone's going to meet their price. But even if they even if they were to sell him, they'll reinvest the money pretty well. So I'm going to go with Napoli. I think Gattuso has shown enough that he can lead a team. There and then Milan looked really good yesterday, and I think if you're a Milan fan, you have plenty of reasons for cussing me out and saying we should be fourth. My only concern is how important Zlatan is for them, and him staying fully healthy a full season is asking for a lot. But he's certainly having a great impact on that team. They have they, they've had a pretty good transfer window. So for that last Champions League spot, it's close. And look, Lazio are bringing back uh, the squad. They have pretty good. They've improved their depth decently, not significantly, but decently enough. So they should be in the mix. But I just feel like there's this dark cloud over Lazio. They finished the season really not well. Uh, Then David Silva, we thought he was coming. How exciting that would have been if it happened. It didn't go through. So I think there's kind of a dark cloud. So maybe I'm putting too much stock into that. But squad-wise, Lazio is still very solid. Uh, You know, Lucas Lieva is a really important player for them. Uh, He was injured at the end of the season. If he can stay healthy, though, they'll be right there with Milan and Napoli for sure.
0: Hey, everybody, this is Taylor interrupting to let you know that this episode of The Total Soccer Show is brought to you by Magic Spoon. Let's talk Magic Spoon, shall we? Growing up, cereal was one of the best parts of being a kid. That is definitely true, and I was always very jealous of the uh, the brightly colored, completely non-natural cereals that were basically sugar that you then poured milk on top of. My family, less so. But I do still love cereal in the morning. I just don't love the sugars, the carbs, the feeling that I have to add a bunch of fruit to it to somehow make it healthy or a more well-balanced breakfast, as I think they said when we were kids. But this This is why Magic Spoon is great, because they offer four different flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and blueberry, but those options have zero sugar, 11 grams of protein, and three net grams of carbs each serving. They're keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, GMO-free, and yet they still exist. That feels like it should just be air they're describing, but there's actually a substance there. It's pretty incredible. So if you're trying to cut down on carbs, sugar, unhealthy food, what have you, uh, then this is a very nice way to do that and still get your more off to a good start. You can go to magicspoon.com/tss to grab a variety pack and try it today. Be sure to use our promo code TSS at checkout to get free shipping. TSS stands for Total Soccer Show. Not sure if you figured that out. Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. That's magicspoon.com slash TSS and use code TSS for free shipping. Thank you very much to Magic Spoon for sponsoring this episode. Now back to my conversation with David. Uh, Let's stick with Lazio for a moment. I am sort of with you. Obviously, you are the expert. My, like... Understanding and memory of last season was basically Lazio are in that conversation for a good long while. Then they kind of fall off due to uh, fixture congestion, injury concerns, yeah. and a lack of depth. Those all feel like they're going to be issues this time round. So I am with you in feeling less optimistic about Lazio's chances. But you mentioned they have improved. They have gotten a little more depth. Who are the kind of important additions there, and where do you think they factor
1: in this sure. season? So they brought in um, Muriki, a striker from Turkey at Fenerbahce, had a very good season. Uh, like Immobile is obviously so important for them. 36 Serie A goals is insane, uh, but they need to give him a little bit more help so Muriki can either start with him or be a very good. Backup, then they bring in Peperina, who obviously has great leadership. Uh, they, he won't be their starting keeper, but last season, Strakosha, their keeper, wasn't up to his standards. I think having a little bit of competition will be good. They brought in a wing back from Spal, Farias, pretty good player. They had brought in their other wing back, Lazari from uh, Spal last season, and he was great. I don't think Farias will be quite as good, but fits their system well. They are trying to bring in another center back. They were linked to Kumbula. It would have been a really nice addition for them. They're trying to bring back Hoet, who's now in the Premier League, who knows at least Lazio's system. And look, at the end of the day, you know, I always look at the five best players on each team. You can make a case Lazio has as good a top five as really pretty much anyone in Serie you have Milinkovic-Savic, you have Immobile, you have Luis Alberto, who led the league and assist, was sensational. You have Lucas Lieva again, who's coming off injury, and Acerbi, their center back, who's really good, plays regularly for Italy when Chiellini is out. I mean, you take those five guys, I would take them really up against anyone. In Serie a. So now hopefully their depth is improved. And look, they have the same manager. They've had him for a long time. They know what to do. So uh, maybe they'll surprise us in a positive way.
0: What is Pupo and Zaghi doing right now with his brother having the success he's having? Is people still around or is he just kind well, of keeping actually, quiet? He,
1: he's back in Serie A. He's the manager of Benevento, there which we go. Is, uh, okay. fantastic. Yeah. And, you know, I gave a lot of credit to Pupo because he was at Milan. He certainly was not ready to be their manager. And then he went to Italy's second division, was on two teams there. He was at Venezia. Now Benevento did very well with both of them brought Benevento back to Serie A the newly promoted teams they are probably the, the one best suited to stay on so I'm curious to see how he does and we will get a derby with Simone when they face um, oh, yeah. Lazio so that should be fun
0: I hope there are lots of offside calls in that one uh, <laughs> for the aforementioned Atalanta I would say they were sort of like the darlings for a lot of people of the Champions League last season uh, mostly because I think like people, myself very much included weren't as familiar with them until suddenly they're doing sort of electrifying things and scoring goals and causing lots of problems. I also personally got a little bit obsessed with Papu Gomez, their number 10, who pops up in pretty much every single position. The worrying thing for me, he's 32 years old, played lots of games last season. They're still in the Champions League this time round, so they will still have those same concerns. What do you think they do if he gets injured or if he needs a rest? Is there a player in their squad who is somewhat capable of doing what he does, or does it require them sort of changing up their approach when Papu Gomez cannot play?
1: Yeah. And, and uh, Papu got a huge offer from the Middle East Al Nassr They that tried signing him in the, in the past, and he's going to stay, he's going to get a raise and yeah, he's really, really important to them. I will say he doesn't really have a role. He's kind of all over yeah. the pitch for them, a really dynamic uh, player. So look, it's uh I will say he's one player in that system. You can't really lose. Like, even Ilichich and Zapata, who are fantastic players. I mean, really, those guys could each both start for Juve, if, you know, if Ronaldo wasn't there. But they are, you know, they have Muriel. They, they can do pretty well there. They are more classic roles. But Gasperini, their manager, has really kind of given carte blanche to Papu Gomez to go, all over the pitch. And I'm hoping down the road, down the road, Dybala kind of becomes that type of player. I think he can do that. But uh, Papu Gomez, yeah, I would say he's the one player on Atalanta. They can't really uh, miss, but you know, he's pretty durable, done well. Uh, and they start off the season against Lazio this weekend, so that'll be fascinating to watch.
0: Who is the the club in the Middle East that came in for Papa Gomez?
1: Al Nasser, I think, yeah. is the name of All the right. club. Yeah. That so was let's for them.
0: let's say they came back and made some in, <laughs> like insane offer for him. Atalanta just could not could not turn it down if they wanted to keep that system that they have or the style that they have, and thus they needed a replacement for him, do you think it could be like in this hypothetical world, would it be Dybala is the one most likely for them to go after if to, if, well, if they had that amount of money to make that happen?
1: Well, look, I, I, I'm, this is more like, as I would project Dybala for down the road, mm-hmm. because he's really not a player with a position per se. And with Allegri, he pushed back and played in the midfield. So, I could kind of see him maybe playing uh, that role. On Atalanta, the player that kind of covers for Papu is Pasalic, the former Chelsea player. And he's been really good for them. Like he's a little less dynamic than him, but he can kind of play that role. I, I envision more DiBala. That's what I would like to see yeah. him become because I just don't know if there's another position where he can be there all the time.
0: And you mentioned uh, Ilicic earlier. I don't want to be indelicate, but can you talk us through sort of what happened with Joseph Ilicic after the restart or like, I guess, during the shutdown and then the restart? There were lots of rumors, some speculation. I was hoping you could sort of explain what happened and then what his present status is.
1: Well, it seems that. You know he went back home in Slovenia, I think, and uh found his wife with someone else. Mm-hmm. That's what seems to be uh the root cause of his issues, and he didn't take it well and he's had a suffer- suffered a bout of depression. That seems to have been the case, but he is back training with the team. I don't think yeah. he'll start against Inter, but I do think we can say that we can expect him back. On the team, uh, they do have a nice front line because they added Miranchuk, who did well in the Champions League. I think he scored twice against Juve when he faced them. So they have another option there. We know they have Luis Muriel, had 18 goals off the bench. But Ilicic really can be a difference maker because he's the most cre- probably the most creative player in Serie A, period. So, uh, yeah, I, I think he'll be back. I don't think he'll play against Lazio, but I, I think we will see a lot of him this season.
0: And then uh, Bergamo itself was, like, one of the epicenters or a main area impacted by coronavirus. How is the situation in the city, in the area? Like, will they have fans back this season? Are they able to? Or is it still pretty
1: touch and go? Well, yeah, you're right. I mean, Bergamo was probably the epicenter of all this. And interestingly, they're saying a lot of this Bergamo was that because there were 50,000 Atalanta fans who went to San Siro to watch uh, Atalanta in the Champions League. And then they went back to Bergamo, which is like a half hour. And they're saying that's one of the reasons why they were hit really hard. Now, you know, that whole region, Lombardia, was where I think 70 percent of the COVID cases were in Italy. Now there's a second wave nowhere near as bad as before but it's spread out. It's not just in one region. I think the fact that they had a thousand fans in most games this weekend, and of course in typical Italian fashion, they decided the night before. I I think we will see more and more fans. Atalanta redid their stadium. What's really interesting is, you know, they couldn't play in the Champions League in their own stadium. That's why they had to go. To San Siro, but now their stadium is compliant. They redid it. So that's going to be great. I'm sure, you know, playing a Champions League game with close to full capacity, if that's allowed, is going to be really something awesome. So, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of encouraging signs of Puente Atalanta being able to play a home game with a lot of fans. And they'll be able to play at home in the Champions League. And think about that, how well they did last season. I mean, they kind of had a home field advantage with all the fans, but not being in their own stadium. So they might be even better.
0: All right. All right. So there are positive signs for Atalanta. I think there are positive signs for Roma. I sort of assumed the Chris <laughs> Smalling deal would be done as soon as the window opened, and yet here we are. It has not yet happened. I'm not sure if it ends up happening. I am also just sort of assuming that this is a Manchester United issue as opposed to anything that Roma are doing wrong. I'm happy for that theory to be incorrect, but if passed as precedent, I'm assuming that this is Manchester United uh not making the process uh simple.
1: Well, I think – well – you could i think it's fair to say that but it's also roma just doesn't have that much money uh to spend i think you know man united would probably like a pretty big return and have the money right away roma's probably looking for a lower price spread out over multiple years smalling really wants to be a roma manager fonseca said it publicly i think he'll go back they haven't Three young center backs that are really quite good uh, Mancini, Bagnes, Cumbula, and I think having Smalling because they don't have another center back. They had to start Cristante at center back over the weekend, and he's a midfielder. So they definitely have, uh, they need Smalling back. I think he'll be back. Uh, yeah, I could see Man United probably demanding maybe more than they should, but also Italian clubs in general, as we know, are always trying to find. A cheap deal, but I definitely expect uh, Smalling to be back at Roma.
0: And you mentioned him a couple times. We can mention him again. Uh, they've brought in, I believe, on loan Marash uh, Kumbala, the 20-year-old center back. Uh, how likely do you think he is to be that sort of next big name that is being linked with all of the the major teams that need a center back?
1: So who will be the next center back sold in Serie? A?
0: Well, I mean, maybe that. I just I'm wondering. Kumbala feels like a player who, at 20 sure. years old, is is going to have uh, a lot of opportunities to get starts, to sure, get minutes, sure, sure. and I feel like then maybe gets into that conversation of, oh, Man City need a center back. Oh, Real Madrid yeah, need yeah, a center yeah, yeah. back.
1: Absolutely, great great question. Yeah, I would say there's a uh, Milankovic on Fiorentina, mm-hmm. who's been a good player for a while. He's been a starter forever, but I think he's only 22. Years old, versatile, can play as right back, but is mainly a center back. Milan are definitely interested. Fiorentina is asking for a pretty big return. So he's definitely a player to watch. Demerol on Juve is a lot of people have him pegged as a really great up-and-coming center back. To watch and on Verona, who had Kumbula, they signed Setin, a Turkish center back from Roma. That I've heard a lot of positive things. Uh, You know, I think in Verona, where we've had center backs do really well last season, uh, he could come up. But if I had to say one, it would probably be Milenkovic on Fiorentina.
0: All right, so Milenkovic for Fiorentina, uh, destined for good things for Kumbula, What is it, though, that makes him exciting? Or is it just that Chris Smalling isn't there, so you've got to play a center back, so let's make it him?
1: Well, what I like about Kumbula is he's a very elegant defender. He kind of reminds me a little bit of Barzagli at Juve. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, not a brute force, just always at the right place at the right time. Uh, plays again, kind of with that elegant style. I think Kumbula is going to be a center back for a top, top team for a very long time. There are others where, you know, and he's good with his feet, too. So uh, I could definitely see, you know, Kumbula on a Juve or Inter or on a Real Madrid or Barcelona in the next few years and you know he was the leader of Verona's defense at 19 the first season and said yeah really showed a lot was kind of leading that line a uh, really impressive player and I think him going to Roma is a really really good spot for him they play a similar system and they develop players <laughs> they've sold players really well so yeah I think this is a very good place for him
0: it also seems uh, I, again. I think I should be upfront and say I am sort of a nominal Roma fan. Uh, it seems like a smart window from them. Uh, they got a lot of money for a player in Patrick Schick that wasn't really in their plans yeah. anymore. They brought in Pedro on a free. They made Mkhitaryan permanent. Then they splashed that cash on a couple of names we've mentioned, including Carlos Perez from or Carlos Perez from Barcelona. Do you like the window they've had, or do they still need to strengthen aside from Chris Smalling?
1: No, I I do like their window. And, you know, let's look at Roma. And I think we have to account for the fact Zaniolo will miss the vast majority of the season. And Serie A as a whole is very strong. Uh, I think even with a healthy Zaniolo, it would have been hard for Roma to, uh, you know, crack the top four. But I think this makes sense. They got rid of Kolarov. They were open to moving Zeko. It sounds like he'll stay Now, if they were going to sell Zeko, they were going to replace him with Milik, who is considerably younger and has done well in Serie A. So to me, it makes uh, sense. Um, You know, the goalkeeper position is tough for them because just like Chelsea, they spent a lot on their keeper and they're not happy with their keeper. And when you spend a lot on a keeper, it's hard to move them because other teams are like, hey, you know, why did you – spend so much money on him i'm not gonna pay you that uh but they have a good backup in uh, mirante so look i think it makes sense you know it was it was always going to be hard for them because they were negotiating the sale of the club throughout the summer these owners came in with the window already open but you know what they're doing so far makes sense to me and i think it makes sense for them to build towards the future. So yeah, I like what they've done. To me, it looks like they're taking one step back to take two forward. You might as well do that when Zanyalo's hurt and when the rest of the league is very strong.
0: Hey, everybody, this is Taylor interrupting one last time, I promise, to let you know that today's episode is brought to you by Artifact. Our friends at Artifact set you up with one of their professional interviewers to capture stories about the important people or things in your life. Think about it like your favorite podcast, but about whatever you want. Uh, One example would be if you played college football and somehow walked on, you could talk about that. That's what Andy Staples did. He's a college football writer for The Athletic, recalling his experience as a walk-on at the University of Florida. Here's a quick clip of Andy's artifact.
1: And so he gave me the Rudy speech. There's that speech where the walk-ons are trying out and the coach goes, your greatest value to this program is we don't care if you get hurt. And Jamie basically gave me that speech. Not in so many words, but you are you are a human tackling dummy. You are here to be abused by the good players.
0: Oh, I miss the human tackling dummies. I think I think they were big in the 90s. I'm pretty sure that was them. If you want to hear more from Andy's Artifact, you can go to heyartifact.com slash Andy Staples. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. If you wanted to order one of your own, all you need to do is go to heyartifact.com and you can get $40 off when you use the promo code TSS. It's a very simple process to get started. You go to heyartifact.com. You tell them a few basic things about what you want the artifact to be about. You then answer a couple of pre-interview questions you schedule the interview it only takes a few minutes so once again that's heyartifact.com and you can use the promo code tss to get 40 dollars off your order thank you very much to artifact for sponsoring this episode now back one last time to david amoyal And so they are a team that uh, I'm assuming a large part of that being Zaniolo, you don't necessarily have in that like top six places. Obviously anything can happen. A team that seemed like maybe they're a little bit stronger in your mind is Milan. They bring in Sandro Tonale, who we thought was going to be an Inter is not I'm assuming that made some Interistas fairly upset does he make them like how much better does he make them right away because this is a very young midfielder we're talking about but it also feels like a young midfielder that a lot of different teams looked at as being a potential star for the future
1: so um Tonali was very good the first half of the Serie a season maybe then finished the best way possible but you know to me when you look he probably could have gone to Juve and been a starter almost right away, kind of like McKinney is now. So, uh, definitely a very talented player. Uh, at Inter, you know, having him with Barella, Sensei, been a lot of shorter midfielders with not a lot of experience i think it would have been great long term but i can understand how for this season they're like you know what vidal probably gives us a better chance at Mm -hmm. the title so i can understand there for milan makes a lot of sense they have a young core we know the elliott fund who owns milan kind of has this idea they want young players that either are going to become building blocks at milan or what will have a resale value down the road they got On a loan with option to buy fairly good value on that deal it's not a concern it's a good thing because Milan have a very deep midfield as is Benacer is fairly similar to Tonali and I thought he was really good last season for Milan, his first season at a top club after coming for from Empoli, Benacer and Cassi played so well together with in and, and the two midfielders in front of the defense. So Tonali is going to have to rotate with them. But look, uh, if Milan's not going to Milan's not going to throw in the Europa League, they always represent Italy and Europe. They take pride in that. So you need depth. And look, they have a great core to grow with. They have Donnarumma, they have Tonali, they have Romagnoli, who's still young. They have Leao, So they have a nice core. Uh, and I think their midfield looks really strong. they also could almost very likely going to bring back Bakayoko from Chelsea. It was great. And Milan, so all of a sudden you have a very deep midfield with quality and you add Bakayoko to that. If you told me Milan has the best midfield in yeah, I mean, you can certainly make a case for that. So, I like that move. Like maybe Tonali isn't going to be a constant starter right away. There's also a lot of hype on him, and that's maybe not the worst thing. But a great move for Milan, good for them long term. Tonali wanted to stay. In Italy, so I think everyone won here. But now if Inter does not win the title, that'll be another player that's going to be thrown in their face. And Milan fans will certainly enjoy that. So (laughs) there's something to be said about that. Uh,
0: But as you mentioned, Zlatan, the the main threat, doing a good job of sort of leading the team. What happens if he needs a rest if he is unavailable? I, I don't know. Like my familiarity with Milan is such that the names that are on that squad that I do recognize are not replacements for Zlatan. Who can play there? Who can get the goals if he can't go?
1: Yeah, no, it's a great question. And that is an issue at Milan. They don't have a classic other number nine that can just come in and replace Zlatan. They would probably have Radic play as that striker. He's more on the wing there. They also have Leal, who showed some flashes, who can play in that role. But I think at that point, kind of they're Formation and their identity changes a little bit. Like, you know, they kind of all funnel into Zlatan. So it's both good and bad. I think it's great that they kept him because I think he's really rubbing off on the young players. And when he talks, he's essentially talking like he's the manager of the team. And that's great. So his influence will be felt, you know, even say he gets injured. But Milan is in trouble. If he misses a month for six weeks, it's going to be hard. They're going to have to move some pieces around because they don't have a natural uh, backup for him. You know, they also have limited resources. I think on the market, they'd rather bring in another center back and gamble that Zlatan can stay healthy. All
0: right, I have two. Family questions of sorts when it comes to Milan. The first one, I see a Maldini in there. How many Maldini progeny are there? Is it just two or are there more waiting to also play for AC Milan at some point?
1: So there's Daniele. I'm not sure if the I, I think he has another son. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Daniele, his son uh, is on the squad Now, uh, he hasn't been loaned out. He makes a decent salary, too. But, hey, you know, the Maldini family tree at Milan has always paid a ton of dividends. Uh, Maldini's father was the captain of the team that won the first Champions League. So, yeah, uh, great. I mean, I know of Daniela. I'm not sure if there's more. Uh, Daniela could. I mean, I doubt he'd be the backup to Zlatan if he's out (laughs) hurt. But we might uh, see... uh, More of him. It was interesting that they kept him on the squad. But, you know, we know in Italy, uh, uh, parochialism and families are really important. But look, Malvini Paolo has done such a good job as the sporting director this summer that I think we can give him a break with his son.
0: Uh, I, I, I agree. I looked it up. Uh, Christian Maldini is also there. He was with Milan until 2016 as a youth player, now with Pro Sesto. I have no uh, idea okay. where that team is. Um, the other family question I had, it's a question I've always had and never actually asked. I'm going to ask you, why is Antonio Donnarumma at AC Milan? And is it just because his brother there is there? Like, is yeah. he actually a good goalkeeper? Or is it just like, sure, G-G, whatever you want, Gigi, as long as it means you stay here, we're fine with it.
1: No, I I gotta be honest, and I try not to trash players, but no, he's there because of his brother. He is actually for third string goalkeeper. He has a big salary. As a matter of fact, I I'd be surprised if you can find many backup keepers in Serbia. Backups, not third string, that have a highest salary as uh, Donnarumma's brother uh look he was essentially when um when Donnarumma when Gijo Donnarumma extended his contract mm-hmm. at Milan a few years ago he was essentially part of the package not only did Gijo become the highest paid goalkeeper in Serie A one of the highest paid in the world at a really young age his brother was brought on you know keep him company during practices but this summer I mean they brought in Bagovic last season to be the backup. They brought in Tatarasanu from Lyon and if Donnarumma's brother was, you know, even an adequate backup, they wouldn't be investing so much. So yeah, this is kind of a other financial transaction. Donnarumma is a great agent at Raiola. So uh, that's what happens in these situations. You know, what I like about Italy is at least it's so brazen. It's all out <laughs> in the open. It's not hypocritical. At least I like that part. Even the Suarez part. It's all out in
0: the open. So. There's the line from uh, the big short that's like, it's like he's so transparent in his self-interest that I almost respect it. I think, I feel like that's what yeah. you're getting at. It's like, yeah, they're just yeah, so transparent. Exactly. They're like, just, we'll pay your brother. Just please don't leave. And he'll take that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, two yeah. more questions for you. Uh, I appreciate how generous you've been with your time. I will try not to be long. I was going to ask you which manager won't make it through the season with possible candidates being Gattuso at Napoli, Pioli at Milan, then I read a little bit more about Genoa and Rolando Moran, uh mostly about Genoa's owner, who seems like maybe that is the reason why their manager is leading the sack race. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the situation at Genoa and if you think yeah. the situation is quite is quite as perilous as I'm painting?
1: Mm. Yeah, I mean, look. uh Any year picking the Genoa manager as the first to be sacked, regardless of who it is, is a good pick based (laughs) on their president. I mean, Preziosi, their president, is really pretty passionate Mm -hmm. in that sense. Uh, He's made some bad mistakes. Like Genoa was actually well on their way to actually being really a pretty good team. They had a manager called Ballardini who did really well. He had avoided relegation with them twice. He had been fired, brought back. He had gotten off to a great start last year. They almost, right after the first seven or eight weeks, they were, you know, really high up in the standings. Then he got in an argument with the president. He was sacked. They never recovered but I think Maran's a pretty good hire he was the manager at Cagliari last season and for a while Cagliari were kind of that surprise team in Serie A and then they completely fell apart like he's an incredibly defensive minded coach but look on Sunday I know they were playing a newly promoted team they looked pretty intriguing and they might add Super Mario Balotelli that might be his next team so I think Balotelli with President Preziosi would be a lot of fun, but he'd be fun on that team. They have a, they have some talent over there. They kind of missed a, a great striker, though. they have Pandev, who's still playing really well. I think he's 38. And what a contrast. Pandev and Balotelli. Goran Gora Pandev is still playing?
0: Team. I'm sorry. Yeah,
1: and he's playing really well, too. What? So Balotelli might be his teammate. Yeah, and he plays really well, by the way.
0: I mean, I believe it. I just like, I remember going on point of being 38, like 12 years ago. So <laughs> yeah. that's, that's, and uh, he looks amazing. about
1: the same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: that, that checks out. Uh, final question for you. Uh, we've talked about a few teams in the league. Which teams that we haven't yet discussed or discussed at length do you think Will be noteworthy or interesting this season, either from a positive, they could take us by surprise, or they might have one electrifying player, or for negative reasons, like they're not going to win many points, they could be historically bad, or they're just going to be like train wreck reasons for watching them.
1: All right, let's start more with a positive. Uh, I keep plugging Sassuolo. Mm. I think Atalanta, everyone's on that train already. You're probably not going to impress anyone if you talk about (laughs) Atalanta. I think Sassuolo are the next up-and-coming team. Their manager, De Zerbi, is fantastic. I've said it many times. Uh, I think Barcelona should absolutely hire him. He has that Barcelona style of play down pat. Mm. Really, really fun team. They really don't defend that much, but they're really, really intriguing. As of now, they still have Boga, who probably will stay with them. They have Locatelli, very intriguing Italian midfielder, Berardi, who's been their symbol player for a while. So definitely a team to watch. I think Fiorentina is very intriguing. Uh, you know, Ribéry still there. Castrovilli, Chiesa are there. Uh, Chiesa might be sold, but as of now, he's there. And they added Amrabat from Verona. Mm-hmm. Really awesome player last season. Came out of nowhere. Uh, was in my starting ideal starting 11 for the season in midfield. So I'm very curious to see Castrovilli with Amrabat. The only problem with Fiorentina is I like their squad. I just don't. I, they just don't have a striker that you can pencil in for 15 goals a season. All the teams they are trying to catch up to do, uh, but definitely uh, a team to watch. So, yeah, I would look there. Trainwreck, potentially Torino. They have Giampaolo as the former manager at Milan. Went over there. They are making a lot of changes. Most teams in Italy try to go with continuity. Torino's making a lot of changes. Not off to a great start at Fiorentina. I could see that season going south pretty quickly. All right. Well, if
0: it does, I'm sure we will be back to explain why and how and who jumped ship to Juve and made Juve better. Uh, but until then, David, thank you so much for tolerating my Italian up front and then making sense of Syria for the rest of the time.
1: Always a pleasure to chat with you. I love your show. I'm humbled to be your uh, Serie a guy. So I look forward to chatting with you again in the future. And thanks so much for having me. Of course,
0: we are humbled that you are our Serie a guy. So it all works out. It's a cycle of humbleness and I'll take it. <laughs>